recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge high atop the Kwai Chang Kane building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd. Tonight's topic, Bruce Lee. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the old podcast again. It's just me and you up in the lounge tonight. And since it was my birthday this past week, I figured we'd talk about something that was near and dear to my heart, especially growing up. Bruce Lee, the legendary Bruce Lee, the man, the myth, Bruce Lee. Man, I can't tell you, when I was a kid, and I'm talking like in the, you know, the late 70s and early 80s and stuff, Bruce Lee was the man. He was the martial arts movie star, and for my money, still is. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the guys that are around today probably wouldn't be around if it wasn't for Bruce Lee. And his legend, I guess you could say, is bigger than he, he ever was, <laughs> with all the myths around him and everything. There wasn't a little kid back then that was, you know, got interested in martial arts, didn't have his own pair of uh, broomstick handle nunchucks with a dog chain. <laughs> I know that was my first pair that I had and made. And posters covering the walls in my bedroom. I God, I must have had about five Bruce Lee posters up on the walls. And any magazine that came out, any Kung Fu magazine, martial arts movies magazine, especially if Bruce Lee was on the cover, you had to have that. Besides all of the mythology and everything around him and, and just the legendary status, the, the movies uh, that he did, and he only did a handful of movies, and they're just fantastic. The martial arts in him, of course, is incredible. Uh, people can say, argue today, oh, the movies are so much better today. Well, okay, great. But <laughs> Bruce Lee was probably about the fastest man alive. <laughs> Literally, he had to he had to slow down for the camera in a lot of a lot of scenes and things because they just couldn't capture the the motion and see what he was doing, and you know didn't have to use any of that shaky cam or or you know putting the camera right in the middle so it looks like there's more going on than there is. No, the camera would just back off and let Bruce Lee go to it. And that's all you needed. He choreographed all of his movies, all the fights in his movies, and. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up. Before doing his movies, he started out and got a little bit of a break in Hollywood doing uh, some TV. Of course, everybody knows the Green Hornet series, which was just is a lot of fun. And the Green Hornet series was made by the same people that made the Batman show, the Adam West Batman show, except the Green Hornet was done as a serious crime show and not a campy, over-the-top uh, superhero show. And if anybody remembers anything about the Green Hornet, they remember Cato. Bruce Lee as Cato, the Green Hornet's partner, and when he would break out into some action and just decimate the bad guys on the screen. You know, that led to some other things. He did a few other TV appearances, did Ironside, Longstreet. Actually, and he did an episode of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is is kind of interesting because he didn't do any martial arts in it at all. He just did, he just acted. And it's a nice little part for him there. After that, he couldn't really get much other work and he didn't want to play the typical at the time the typical typical Chinese character that would pop up in shows from time to time he wanted to be himself or be you know do something they could be proud of I tell you though if you want to see Bruce Lee pretty much as he really was or as close as you're going to see to how he really was if you can get your hands on uh, the episodes of Longstreet that he was on with James Franciscus he plays a character named Lee (laughs) <laughs> and James Franciscus 
plays a blind lawyer who is trying to get him to teach Bruce to teach him how to fight, how to take care of himself. And he teaches him Jeet Kune Do, which is the Bruce Lee's martial art, the one that he developed and came up with. And it's a nice bit of Bruce Lee's philosophy and, and teaching on those couple of episodes that he was on. Really r- worth the watch if you get a chance. And talking about his martial arts for a minute, when he started training, he, and all of this is pretty much common knowledge if you know anything about Bruce Lee. So. <laughs> but for anybody that doesn't, as a kid, he got into a lot of trouble growing up and got into some fights. And the story goes that he really got his butt whooped one time and... So he started studying Wing Chun. Well, there's a couple of stories. He he started studying Wing Chun so he could learn how to take care of himself. His dad, or his dad, got him in to start and study Wing Chun for some discipline. Either way, it worked out well for him. Uh, he excelled in it quickly and just adapted and took to it. When he moved to the United States, he started teaching martial arts. And his version of Wing Chun... He called uh, Jun Fan Kung Fu, which his name was Lee Jun Fan. So it was Bruce Lee's Kung Fu, more or less. And through trial and error and a series of experiences, he found out the what he called the classical mess or adhering to strict style, a strict style of martial arts just didn't work for him. It wasn't, it didn't lend itself to street combat so much, or it just felt too confining. So. He started to study anything he could get his hands on. Studied, He had a massive library of books on f- different martial arts styles and different fightings from around the world. He took bits and pieces of things, uh, you know, some footwork from boxing and footwork from fencing, grappling from judo, jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, kicks from karate, taekwondo, uh, you know, jabbing from boxing and different hand techniques. And, and putting all this together... Like in a big stew and mixing it all up, he came up with Jeet Kune Do, the way of the intercepting fist, uh, Bruce Lee's martial art that he, he ended up teaching and became his way of life. And so basically what he did was created mixed martial arts. And it took the rest of the world about 30 years or so to catch up to him. <laughs> he did this back in the 60s. And he got a lot of flack from you know traditional martial, martial artists at the time. I remember even up into the 80s when I was uh, a teenager and I was studying martial arts and hearing other martial arts instructors and things talk and saying uh, you know, some of them would, would say that oh that's you know, you know, a little crap or it wasn't you know he didn't know what he was talking about he was just a movie star and all that <laughs> and lo and behold uh, you know years after that that's what people are doing and I mean, that's what mixed martial arts fighting MMA is, pretty much, is taking bits and pieces of everything and making it work into a com- a, a combat style. MMA stuff is pretty damn brutal. And that's what Bruce Lee was all about, is using anything that worked for you. Making the, the technique work for you, not you work to perfect the technique. And there's pros and cons to, to it. There's both sides, you know. I do, and I really do enjoy traditional martial arts. But there, like I said, there's pros and cons to each. It depends on what you want to get out of it. But bottom line, Bruce Lee was light years ahead of his time uh, in his philosophies and his ideas on how to approach things. Now, that being said, let's get back to <laughs> get back to his film work. After he did, you know, some things in uh, on TV and all, he's Wanted to, he wanted to be a movie star, wanted to break into the movies. And he got a, a few parts in a, in 
a couple of movies, a couple you know, bit parts. He was in Marlowe with James Garner, and which he beat up James Garner's office, uh, <laughs> and a few you know a few other minor things. And then he just couldn't get his foot in the door. He he wrote a script with uh, I think a Sterling Siliphant called The Silent Flute. Uh, which they ended up adapting and making into after his death, making into a movie called Circle of Iron, which is could have been a, I mean it's an okay movie and it's a little goofy, the way it was made. But if you think about what if Bruce Lee was in it and how it would have gone then, it would have been really cool. And also he started well, it depends on who you're talking to. There's t- a couple schools on this. If you listen to the producers of the show, Kung Fu, they came up with the idea of the show and Bruce Lee auditioned for it. And they didn't hire him because they said they couldn't really understand him on camera, which is a load of bullshit. (laughs) But if you, you know, listen to Bruce Lee, uh, he came up with the idea along with, I can't remember the other guy. It might have been one of the writers or producers on Batman. Uh, William, William Dozier, maybe? I don't know. Anyway. They came up with the idea and presented it to the studio, and the studio liked the idea, but didn't want him as a lead because they didn't think a. Then you got to think this was the early late sixties, early seventies. They didn't think that a a Chinese guy could carry an American television show, and they wanted a somebody with a little bit of a name, an American actor. So they ended up going David Carradine. Now, according to legend, after after all this happened, different people told Bruce that he should go. You know, go go back to China. You can make movies there. Make a couple of you know, make a couple of movies there. Get some credits under your belt, and then come back to America. And that's exactly what he did. He went back to China. Come to find out that he was a star in China because of the Green Hornet. A little kid was shown there constantly, and it was called. It wasn't called the Green Hornet there. It was called the Cato Show, or Cato and the Green Hornet. And he was a hero to little kids all over China and adults, too. So he ended up getting a break and getting his first movie role there. And in China, it was called The Big Boss. It was released over here as Fists of Fury. And it's it's a hey, it's a good, solid picture, you know, and it stood out amongst a lot of the Chinese kung fu pictures then because most of them were period pieces. Uh, A lot of costume dramas, a lot of flying through the air with swords and stuff. And this was just a modern-day kind of a crime story, and it worked really well. Bruce did butt heads with the director, Lo Wei, and there's a, a couple of scenes in it that you can see. A couple of high jumping-through-the-air scenes. No wire work, really. Just kind of jumping up on trampolines in the air. And there's this one horrible scene <laughs> where he, like, backfists a guy, and a guy goes flying back through the wall behind him, and it... He goes, he goes through the wall, and it leaves the outline of his body going through the wall like a you know, cartoon. Bruce didn't like that, part, that kind of stuff, but the director was adamant, and he was the director, so you know, that's, they went with it. But the rest of the film, Bruce Lee just shines and stands out above everybody else. Uh, if nothing else, Bruce Lee had charisma and a charm to him that nobody else could match on screen. And when he was on, you on screen, your eyes are focused on him, even if he's just standing still. This film, the first movie, a lot of fun. And his second movie, which they went ahead the following year, that was so successful, he went ahead and knocked out another one. And then over there, this one was called Fist of Fury. It was released in the States as The Chinese Connection. Now, The Chinese Connection is real important because we get to see a little more Bruce Lee, a little more acting. He goes undercover to infiltrate this rival school. And I'm not going to go through the whole plot of the film. You just watch the film and you'll see. But... (laughs) This one was real important because it was 
really standing up for the Chinese against the Japanese and against the prejudice against them. And also for, well, for any little kid watching this or any, you know, body interested in martial arts at the time, this was the first time on the big screen we got to see nunchucks, uh, nunchaku. Bruce Lee whipping out a pair of nunchucks and is beating the crap out of a school full of martial arts guys, karate guys. And it's spectacular. It's amazing. Still to this day, it's, it's almost get chills watching that and realizing what it is, you know, the first time. He did pull out, and one episode of Green Hornet, though, he did pull out the nunchucks, but it was at night and it was dark and didn't do a whole lot with them. Kind of really used them more like, I guess, you really would instead of whipping them all around the body for show. But So you kind of saw them, but you really didn't. So this, I would count this as the first time. It has, you know, the movie has a tragic ending, and uh, but it's a it's a lot of fun. It's a great. I don't know if you could really rank his movies best to worst because they all have stuff in them that are different parts that are favorites or whatever. But these two are real important to me because these were the first two Bruce Lee movies I ever saw, and I saw them both together the same night at the drive-in. And, you know, I'm talking, I was probably 12, 13 years old. My parents took me to the drive-in to see this, and I was just blown away. First drive-in movie I ever went to, first rated R movies I ever saw, <laughs> and the first, first double feature I ever a- attended, and first Bruce Lee movies. And I was just, I was sold from then on. I can't tell you how cool that was to see. So from then on, I was just anything. I had to have anything and everything that had to do with Bruce Lee. And luckily, I got to see not long after that on, uh, I guess, VCR started really getting popular and coming around, and I got to see Return of the Dragon, which is Bruce Lee's third movie. But why is it called Return of the Dragon, you ask? Well, because originally the title in China was Way of the, the Way of the Dragon, but it was released in the States after Enter the Dragon was. So they called it Return of the Dragon. Now, Way of the Dragon, probably his most important film, because this is the one where he had total control of what was going on. Bruce wrote the movie, directed the movie, uh, produced it, choreographed it, and starred in it, and had creative control over the whole thing. He has a little, some humor in it, kind of the fish out of water, the country country bumpkin come to town. Uh, has great fight scenes in it. He also, instead of, if one pair of nunchucks was good in Chinese Connection, two pairs is even better in the way of the dragon. He whips out and uses double nunchucks on these guys, which he's Bruce Lee. He didn't need to do that, but, <laughs> you know, that's like uh, John Wayne using a cannon. You know, he's John Wayne. Just give him a six-shooter. That's all he needs. But it's spectacular to see on screen, and it's an amazing film overall. The least, you know, not the least of which is the end fight scene where he fights Chuck Norris. At the time, Chuck Norris was top uh, I think it was full contact. Might not have been full contact. But anyway, karate tournament champion, and was just starting to make a little name for himself in the community and everything. And he and Bruce Lee became friends, shared ideas with each other, taught each other. Bruce taught Chuck, uh, you know, stuff, and uh, he had him in this in the film here. This Chuck Norris uh, first big film break, and it's a great scene at the end. The movie takes place in Italy, in Rome. So they're at the at the end. They're fighting in the ruins of the Colosseum. And you have these two gladiators going at it, you know, bare-fisted. And it's spectacular. It holds up today. It's amazing the way it's shot, the choreography, everything. It's just fantastic. Can't say enough good things about it. Go out and watch it right now if you haven't seen it. After that, Bruce, finally, the United States caught up 
to Bruce and got him to come over and do Enter the Dragon. Now, he had already started filming Game of Death in China, which was his second feature he was going to have write, produce, direct, star, have creative control over, and would have been spectacular. He started filming that. He got a call to do Enter the Dragon in the United States, put Game of Death on hold, came over and filmed Enter the Dragon, which is the be-all and end-all standard for which all other martial arts movies are to be judged from now until the end of time. Uh, <laughs> it's the Enter the Dragon was like the perfect storm. It came out at the probably the peak, the height of the martial arts kung fu craze in the United States or right either right at the peak or as it was building momentum and just then caused it to just snowball after that attendance in martial arts schools just skyrocketed after Enter the Dragon came out and Bruce Lee pictures of Bruce Lee were on everything the movie I just watched it the other day and I still enjoy it every bit as much as the first time I watched it a hundred years ago you know and it's the formula of the that has been repeated numerous times in martial arts movies over the years. There's this big tournament. The guy putting on the tournament's a bad guy. Three, in this case, sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less, but in this one is three guys from different backgrounds come together to the tournament, more or less joining forces to fight the bad guy and defeat him by the end of the movie. Bruce, again, just shines through in this movie and is amazing on camera. And you've also got, for the first, uh, I think his first film appearance, Jim Kelly, uh, who went on to do the Tattoo Connection and Black Belt Jones and a few a few other martial arts movies. And he's got his own personality on camera. Not that great of an actor, at least not. This was his first film role, but he's got some charisma and he stands out, you know. But then you've got one of my favorite character actors of all time, John Saxon, shows up in this. And he just, <laughs> he's, he's great at his character of Roper, who's this gambler who never really quite wins all the time, but it's <laughs> Always tries to and likes to live big. Uh, he plays it plays it well, and he his martial arts comes off pretty good in this, and it should because Bruce Lee taught him. So I had the the really good fortune a few years ago to meet John Saxon, and it was it was just amazing to be in the presence of somebody that knew Bruce Lee personally, and and you know worked with him on on camera. I wish I wish I had more I got to meet him a little bit but I really didn't get a chance to really sit down and talk with him a whole lot at this festival so I kind of wish I could have done that that would have been great but I did hear him talk about Bruce Lee a little bit so that was really cool but anyway enter the dragon get back to that. <laughs> like I said before is the be all and end all most people who are used to martial arts films that have come out since then and come out today might think it's a little quaint because it was filmed in the 70s and things are done differently today but for me, it's it epitomizes the the time that it was filmed and the and what it was symbolizes what it set off as far as the martial arts craze, and it's just a good it's a good solid little movie. And I say little movie, it's one of my favorite martial arts movies, one of my favorite movies, regardless of martial arts. And I'll watch it any day of the week. <laughs> a couple of interesting things about it though: the main villain, uh, Mister Han, his uh, voice was overdubbed by Key Luke, who has a great a great voice for narration or anything but Key Luke was Charlie Chan's number one son in the Charlie Chan movies he was also speaking here's the Bruce Lee connection he was Kato in the Green Hornet serials the 12 chapter black and white serials from the the 40s he was Kato in those he was also countless cartoon voices over the years any asian character in any cartoon in the 70s probably was Key Luke doing the voice 
and he was perfect for that. You you can't unless you know Keeluk's voice, you can't really tell it was overdubbed because the guy mouths the words correctly. It's just his voice did wasn't what they were looking for, I guess. Another thing, the guy that Bruce Lee fights at the very beginning of this movie, kind of a chubbier guy. They're both in these weird kind of boxing gloves at the Shaolin Temple with his little speedos on fighting each other, is Sammo Hung, who went on to do a lot of stuff with Jackie Chan and even had, uh, oh, what was that show he had in the States for a little while? I can't remember. Very young Sammo Hung. And speaking of Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan was in Air of the Dragon. Most people don't know that, but he was. He actually, you know, had contact with Bruce Lee. He's one of the guys who comes up and attacks him in the underground lair, and you can you can see him. The one where the guy comes up and tries to hit him, Bruce Lee hits him a couple times, and then whips him around and kind of ha- pulls him back by the hair, and I don't know if he has him like in a chokehold, and holds him there for a second. The guy's going, Argh! that's Jackie Chan. There might have been another scene where you see him from the back, and he gets hit and knocked away, but Jackie Chan tells the story that in one of the scenes they were doing, he, he attacks Bruce Lee, you know, kicks him or hits him, knocks him back, and after the scene, and he just kind of laid there, and I think he might have made a little contact. After, this, after the scene was over, they yelled, cut. Bruce Lee went over to him and said, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And Jackie said he was okay, but he acted like he was hurt. So Bruce Lee would pay more attention to him because <laughs> he was just enamored of Bruce Lee. Like everybody was. He was a Chinese hero to you know a young Chinese guy. And later on, every other time during the shoot, whenever Bruce Lee would see him, he'd, you know, he'd like rub his arm like his hurt. Bruce Lee come over and give him a hug, and, and Jackie was like, oh, yeah, don't let go. <laughs> it's just a neat little story. And you think somebody who is talented and skilled as Jackie Chan is, and how much he looked up to Bruce Lee, that's just, that says a lot, you know. So anyway, Enter the Dragon, made Enter the Dragon, which you could probably do a podcast on just Enter the Dragon, and maybe we will one time. Goes back to China to start working on Game of Death again. And unfortunately, this is where his story kind of ends. He died before he could finish working on the film. And there's lots of rumors and lots of things about how he died, why he died. Was it a curse? Was it Chinese mafia? Was it this? Was it that? Uh, There's a lot of bullshit out there. Basically... What killed him was an, an edema, a swelling of the brain tissue as an allergic reaction to an analgesic that he took for migraines or pains he was having. And he he had had some back trouble and different things. So, But, if, you know, you kind of think Bruce Lee's body, his physique, his metabolism, his makeup, everything about him was not like anyone else on this planet. <laughs> he had 0% body fat, and he worked out constantly, and he was the pretty much the peak of physical condition. So anything he took, I wouldn't expect it to affect him like it would affect any normal person. So you can think what you want. Read everything you can about how he died and everything about it. Make your own decisions. Uh, Me, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care how he died. I just care about how he lived and the film work that he put out and everything that that we can get to see that's still here. Game of Death. He didn't finish the movie Game of Death. Some years later, they took the footage that he had shot, which he shot about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes worth of footage when it was all said and done. And they ended up only using, they finished the film, and it's a it's a mockery, it's a travesty of what he was trying to do. It's horrid. They used Bruce Lee's stand-ins. They even used it like a cardboard cutout of his face and in a <laughs> horrible, horrible CGI-ish attempt to try to put his his face on somebody else's body. 
it's laughable, but they only used about 12, 11 or 12 minutes of the footage at the end of the movie, the fight at the end. And for years and years and years, that's all we had of the film to see. A few years ago, the rest of this footage was discovered. And like I said, it's, I can't remember the exact amount. It's a 20, 30 minutes. It's a, it's a good chunk of footage of film. And his notes and notebooks on the plot of the film, of what it was going to be. And if you get the Enter the Dragon special edition DVD or Blu-ray, the extras on it, there's an extra called The Warrior's Journey. And I think that's also out on a separate Blu-ray. You can get that just alone by itself. It's a little documentary on Game of Death and everything about the movie, what it was supposed to be, how he went about everything. And it has that complete footage that he shot. And it's amazing. It's glorious to see. I mean, you get to see some great, some great Bruce Lee fighting. Uh, of course, he's in the classic, the Game of Death, you know, yellow jumpsuit with the black stripes. In this, he, he goes, the plot was he's supposed to go up this pagoda to, and fight these different martial artists on different levels. And one, he fights this Korean Hapkido guy. Uh, another, he fights Dan Inosanto, his, his best friend and who has continued over the years to teach Jeet Kune Do and in his version of Jeet Kune Do, like Bruce would have wanted. And then he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the top. And <laughs> if you've never seen it, and that sounds really weird and awkward to you, you have to see it to believe it. Kareem worked out with Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee taught him martial arts. And then when he came up with this idea for this film, he thought this would be a great visual to have this giant and and Bruce fight. And it works. It works fantastic. But Kareem, yeah, he does look a little awkward because he is so big. But as big as he is, he's pretty damn fast. And there's no speeding up of the camera. That's just how Bruce Lee taught him, what he adapted to. And it's spectacular. Find it and watch it. It's it's incredible. Now, you know, I said earlier, Bruce Lee was a, a Chinese hero and a hero to Chinese kids and, and Chinese men and everything and just the Chinese people. And that's true. That's very true because he, he was he was Chinese. He was also American. He was born in America, moved back to China with his parents because they were traveling actors in Chinese opera. But he moved back to America when he was 18 to retain his citizenship and go to college. When I was a little kid, I didn't care. I mean, you know, he could have been green for all I care. <laughs> he was just this amazing martial artist. And I wanted to be Bruce Lee. and Or I wanted to be like Bruce Lee anyway. And hundreds and thousands of kids all over the United States wanted to be Bruce Lee. A lot of us still do want to be Bruce Lee. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that really says a lot about him, his charisma, his charm, his skill, whatever, you know, you know, whatever, it didn't, you know, it didn't matter where he was from or who he was, you know, he was a hero and he always will be. If there's one thing about a hero or a celebrity or whatever dying at a young age, the only good thing about that is they will always be that age. They'll always be that virile, that strong, that hero that you, you looked up to. They'll never diminish. They'll never get older. They'll never lose their skill. They'll always be there for you like they were when you discovered them. The downside of that, the bad part about that is we'll never know what could have been, what Bruce Lee might have done. You think about what he did, what he achieved, and how light years he was ahead of the curve on everything. What would he be doing 10 years after that? What would he have been doing in the 80s? What would he be doing in the 90s? Even at at about, he would have been in what, in his 70s now? What would he be doing now? 
at the peak of physical perfection, he wouldn't have slowed down but so much, <laughs> you know, even <laughs> at, you know, being that old. It just it's just mind boggling to think what he could have done and achieved and and what you know, what film would have been like, what martial arts films would have been like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just makes my brain hurt trying to think of that. <laughs> There's a lot of other martial arts guys out now, but nobody will ever come close to being what Bruce Lee was. And the legend that surpassed the man, but you know, the legend was what well, is what he was. There was not a whole lot of exaggeration in his in who he was and his skill or anything. But what's amazing is, you know, he died in nineteen seventy three. It is twenty eighteen, two thousand eighteen now. There are still new products coming out with Bruce Lee on them. There's T shirts, there's books, there's magazines, there's action figures. Brand new action, not collectible, not old stuff. Brand new stuff coming out each year with Bruce Lee on it. You go 30, 40 years from now, there's not going to be Steven Seagal action figures or Chuck Norris action figures or, oh, uh, was it Donnie Yoon action figures or Jet Li action figures? No, there's not going to be any of that. There'll still be Bruce Lee stuff coming out. I, I can almost guarantee it. What can you say? That's That says a lot right there. It's just amazing. It blows my mind to think that. It blows my mind, then it doesn't, because I just bought a couple of new Bruce Lee shirts recently myself. So. And wear them proudly. Now, one thing I didn't touch on, which I cannot go away without talking about this, after Bruce Lee died, everybody got on the bandwagon to cash in on his name. And there was handful of Bruce Lee imitators and Bruce Lee ripoff movies that came out with titles like, uh, well, first off, there was Bruce Lee, spelled L-I, which most people over here, we called him Bruce Lie. There was Bruce Lay, L-E, which I read somewhere that if you, that meant in China, that kind of meant Bruce Lee Jr. If they dropped one letters, I don't know. There was Dragon Lee. Those were the big three. Those are the big three guys that did most of the Bruce Lee movies, uh, rip-off movies. Bruce Lai being the one that I see, saw the most of, and actually, I liked the guy. He was fun, and from what I've read about him since then, it seemed to be a nice guy, and he kind of felt bad about it and got out of the Bruce Lee copy movie business and just went and had a regular career as like a uh, physical education teacher. He got out of the whole movie business thing. But... Oh, man, dozens and dozens of movies. <laughs> uh, a lot of them using Bruce Lee's name to capitalize and sell pictures. One, Bruce Lee fights back from the grave, which had the greatest ad campaign and the greatest trailer. of this. It showed Bruce this tombstone with Bruce Lee's name on it, and then lightning in the sky, and lightning struck the ground, and all of a sudden Bruce Lee like comes jumping up out of the dirt like a zombie does, but just coming up in like a, a flying kick or something out of the ground. And it was, that was pretty awesome, though. <laughs> But really cheesy at the same time. All kinds of titles. It was Bruce Lee, The Invincible. Uh, Bruce Lee, His Last Game of Death. Fist of Fury 2. Bruce Lee's Revenge. There's dozens of them. Some of them are fun. Some of them are okay. Some of them are crap. I did try to watch Bruce Lee Fights Back from the Grave recently. And I get maybe the, co- the copy I had, the quality was so bad, but I couldn't really follow it. And it, it wasn't that good. There was one that Bruce Lee did, though, called Bruce Lee, The Man, The Myth. Which... I saw a long time ago when I was a kid on Black Belt Theater. That was the, the Kung Fu movie show that we had here. 
And they were all over the country in the 80s. There was Kung Fu Theater. There was you know, whatever. It was called Black Belt Theater here. It came on Saturday afternoons at 3 p.m. I remember because I'd watch cartoons. <laughs> yeah, even as a teenager. Even today I watch cartoons. I'm, you know, no shame. But I remember I watched cartoons. I'd go out and cut the grass, come in, have some lunch or snack or whatever, and then watch Black Belt Theater. And then go about the rest of my day or whatever after that. But Bruce Lee, the man, the myth. For a, a, a rip-off movie or a Bruce exploitation movie, it's pretty damn close to his real story. Of all those movies, that's probably one of the better ones. And, I, you know, it's not just my opinion. I, I've read this in other reviews and all that it is. You know, it's not like anything, it's any other movie. It takes liberties. I mean, hell, the movie Dragon, the Bruce Lee stories, good as it was, took a lot of damn liberties with Bruce Lee's story. It wasn't quite as accurate as a lot of people want to think it was. But it was pretty good. It was pretty good. And this is a different take on that. But it's pretty close. Uh, it's one of the better ones. But man, there were so many of those movies out there. And... You know, hey, they are what they are. It's like I said, some of them are a lot of fun, and some of, most of them are pretty much are, are crap. But getting back into being really into Bruce Lee here recently, I, I kind of got a, a hankering to see uh, some of those. <laughs> so who knows? I might have to start hunt, hunting some of those down. I do know that I will be watching all of Bruce Lee's real movies probably over and over again here pretty soon and uh, enjoying them just as much as I did the first time. Uh, I don't know what else I could say. Uh, Bruce Lee was, you know, the man, the myth, uh, the legend. How can how can you not like him? I mean, how can you not? If you have any interest in martial arts at all, you gotta like Bruce Lee. That's just it. If any of those movies, if you have not seen any of the real Bruce Lee movies, the American titles, Fist of Fury, Chinese Connection, Return of the Dragon, Enter the Dragon, find them. Amazon, you can get them in a box set, you can get them individually, various prices, a Blu-ray, DVD, whatever. Check them out. By all means, though, get A Warrior's Journey. Watch that Game of Death footage. It's fantastic. It's amazing. The Green Hornet TV show has never been officially released in any form. You can find bootleg copies of the entire series at conventions. I don't know. There's probably clips of episodes. I don't know if there's full episodes on YouTube or not. I think you can find you can find the Ironside episode he did on YouTube the Long Street, I believe the Long Street episodes are on YouTube, and the Seven Brides for Seven Brothers episode. So you can check out all that good stuff, and I, by all means, do so. It's uh, it's just fantastic to see any any little morsel we can see of Bruce Lee on camera is like gold because that's all we've got, you know. Be sure to check out the Phantasmo After Dark Facebook page. I'll be posting, of course, lots of pictures of Bruce Lee to go along with the podcast here. Uh, I'll try to post the trailers for each one of his movies on there also. That'll be some fun stuff. And, you know, hey, drop me a line. Uh, I know, you know, this this thing here is by all means not comprehensive and all-encompassing. This is just me rambling on about uh, something that I love. So, and stream of conscious. So I know there's a lot that I missed <laughs> of course, that has to do with his life or his film career. But, hey, that's okay. We're just here having fun. And hopefully, you know, maybe it'll, you know, get you to watch some of this stuff if you haven't seen it before. I mean, that's the whole point anyway. But drop me a line on the Phantasmo After Dark Facebook page. Make a comment. Leave a comment. Tell me to shut the hell up. Whatever. Or drop us a line at the Phantasmo After Dark email at phantasmoad at gmail.com. That's phantasmoad, all one word, at gmail.com. Or like I said, just write on the Facebook page there. So 
Anyway, I think that's it for tonight. And hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night.